This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 6th of November 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem, for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my fully AI-enabled co-host, Jon. Yeah, but am I interpretable? Well, it's 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 unclear at this time. Let me shake the magic eight ball and see what it says. Hey, it's my it's my word of the week. Uh, inter- interpretable. I can't pronounce it, but it's my word of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll ask again at the end of the week and see if you can pronounce it then. <laughs> well, it all depends on how often I say it in this episode, I guess. Indeed. So, uh, yeah. Oh, before we start in the whole thing, uh, little announcements. We're on Spotify now. Hooray! Took a while because Spotify used, uh, in the past only allowed you if you were affiliated with one of the big podcast uh, platforms out there. They had a little uh, email you could send to get on them, but you, well, they kind of never ever replied to anything. <laughs> but now they actually had a nice uh, setup you could just follow on. And uh, since uh, uh, yesterday, I guess, uh, the day before, uh, we're also available on Spotify, which pretty much means you should be able to get us everywhere now. So nowhere you're safe. That's it. World domination is ours. <laughs> it was a lot of work, so I wanted to get that out there first. Uh, no, actually, the reason I looked at it is because uh, at the conference we're going to be talking about uh, in a minute, I guess, somebody asked us if we were on Spotify. I had to say no, and I was so chagrined by that. I went on their site and looked at it again, and hey, lo and behold, we're there now. Excellent. Well, there we go. One more platform to consume us on. Yeah, we've ruined everything. Pretty much. But, you know, in a good way. <laughs> anyway, without anyway, other way. Yeah, uh, so the, the topic, uh, I guess, for today is the fact that uh, we managed to uh, meet up once again uh, at another conference. This yeah. time, did the road not trip. presenting. <laughs> yeah, this time not presenting. Nope. Um, but uh, you know, thanks very much to the, the folks at uh, H2O who both offered... Uh, some free tickets uh, mm-hmm. for us to give away, and also uh, gave us uh, free passes to attend their event. Yes, definitely, because it was—it's actually something I've been looking forward to. So we've been talking about them for a couple of weeks now. But this yep. whole uh, H2O.AI uh, guys—they're they, a bit of an unknown for me because they're really at the top end of the AI spectrum, let's say, mm-hmm. machine learning spectrum, and it's always something that. In the projects, that I, the projects that I do, I kind of go to a certain end and then I hand it over to the customer and they kind of take it from there. And they were always on the other side of the <laughs> of the divide, yeah. let's say. And this, uh, it's always good to be able to get your hands dirty on this thing. And uh, yeah, maybe just go over the, the event uh, quickly. It was a two-day event. And the first yep. day was a training day uh, with mm-hmm. hands-on training, which, well, it's a, at these kind of events, it's never really a full-on hackathon. It's more of a lab. It just gets presented. But, well, you got uh, code. You got uh, an, an instant instance of the whole thing to, to play with. So that was the whole of day one. I will go over that in a bit more detail in a second. And then the second mm-hmm. day was a, let's call it, quote-unquote, normal conference day with uh, yeah. sessions, keynotes, and the whole thing. They had three tracks by side by side, so impossible to keep it all up. But uh, we did our best. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. So, in that case, do you want to do you want to kick off with talking about the, the the training day? Yeah, training day actually for me was the best of the two because it actually allowed me to do what I wanted to do, to get my hands dirty mm. in the whole thing. 
uh, it was pretty much uh, focused around the new driverless AI uh, offering they have at the moment, because H2O.ai, for people who don't know them, uh, they do open source, so most of the stuff is just available on GitHub and deployed on Hadoop clusters or Spark clusters or whatever, or their own H2O kind of clusters. But the driverless AI part is their, I think it's their first real commercial offering, and that's because it's a service how you can actually utilize the components, the software, the whole AI thing in a nice packaged way. And the driverless behind this is the idea behind, and I've said behind twice there, um, not needing to do all the grunt work. Because we've, we've talked about this before, that a normal data scientist spends about 80 times of its time doing non-data science stuff. Data cleansing, data interpretation, and all that kind of junk, trying again, different approaches, just to figure out what works best. And what the driverless AI thing does, it's a nice interface where you just give it your uh, data set, press go and presto, it's done. Well, it's not that easy, but <laughs> they do give you a lot of uh, knobs and, and, and bobs to turn on. Mm-hmm. So you can you can actually do what I just said. You, the, the simplest way is you just give it three sections being how long can the system run? Um, how interpretable does the result need to be? And the third one is the accuracy of the um, uh, prediction, let's say. And we're talking about machine learning here. They do also put some kind of, uh, they have some TensorFlow in there as well, so they can do a bit of the deep learning. But depending on these three knobs, it kind of decides how the, the system is going to try to predict what you want to get out of this model. Last thing you have to tell the thing is uh, what your column is you want to predict. So for a uh, the, one of the examples was a bank giving out loans, wants to predict if the person that's applying for the loan is going to default or not. So in that case, the default column, yes, no, would be a prediction. And then you tell it how accurate it should be, how long it can take, and how interpretable it needs to be. And depending on how you set these things, it will either do a very quick and dirty linear regression or go deep into uh, complementing uh, models uh, one after the other to make a real, uh, there's a word for that which I have not forgotten, to make an amalgam of approaches to give you the best result within the time and with a certain amount of interpretability. And it actually works pretty well. It's a full graphical interface which is always mm-hmm. nice for people that do this from time to time but don't really have everyday uh, interaction with these kind of stuff because it's easy to forget in the nitty gritty so this gives you a nice uh, um, yeah UI that's intuitive to use but they also have a expert uh, button on there which allows you to tweak every single button and knob you can think of so you can yeah. make it pretty much as difficult as you want to and actually, the results are pretty good. The, the, it, can take a, it can take a while. I mean, doing iterative machine learning can take a couple of hours, even a couple of days. So you have, a, you have some control there. But at the end of the day, they do get good results. And one of the things they said there was that the, you have, uh, we've talked about Kaggle before, the whole uh, machine learning community, let's say, which was uh, purchased by Google a while ago. Mm-hmm. And they actually competed in the Kaggle competitions using their driverless AI service and were able to score top 10 uh, results there. Yeah, and they, they were actually saying that, you know, se- several of them had sort of pitched their own, you know, top tier data scientists against their own driverless AI mm-hmm. and come, you know, very, very close to uh, the same sort of results. But even with 
um, you know, with driverless AI actually arriving at the results many times quicker yeah, than e- even their experts. And not only faster, but it's hands off, right? I mean, yeah. you can just give it a couple of uh, a couple of how do you call it uh, parameter parameters attributes, let mm-hmm. it go, and who cares if it runs for three weeks? Well, I guess financially you will have to pay for the compute, but uh, it's not like you're keeping a person busy with that thing. Yeah, and and also the fun thing is that that last thing, that interpretability uh, option. And the idea behind that is that even though it's a black box, you still need to explain to a person why he got declined to get that loan, why mm-hmm. the bank said no. I mean, it's against our policy. It doesn't cut it anymore. You have to tell them, yeah, it's because you have three credit cards that are red and you're living in a certain neighborhood and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of things behind that. And by setting that interpretability slider high, it will actually refrain from using things like TensorFlow. Because when you go into deep neural networks, it gets a lot harder to really understand why it does what it does. But if you keep it in the other extreme, just a linear regression, you will just get a list of, okay, these were the features that were in the data set. These are the features we've actually used in this uh, model. And when I say used, that could be these, the raw features in your data set or certain combinations of those features. For example, it could take a couple of categorical features, add them together in a certain way, and create a new column from that. But in yeah. the end of the road, you can actually see that, okay, the top one defining feature globally for the model was, did you pay your last loan? And for this particular instance, this particular data row prediction, it was one of these other features, whatever. So really giving you insight on why the model defi- the predicts a yes or a no. And definitely in financial world, I've been talking to the guys there, of course, too. They say that definitely in financial world, world that's a very important thing. Just be able to, to explain to a non-data scientist why machine learning says no. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, this also um, echoes for me something that was a bit of a revelation. I'd always, you know, really just thought of uh, H2O as just being another library yep. that you could plug into, um, you know, work you're already doing with maybe Spark or Spark ML, you know, just something to augment yep. it. Yeah, but yeah, actually, um, it, it's, it seems to be, well, it is so much more than that. Yeah, that is. was the... The, the, the number one takeaway from me was that there's a lot more to what they're able to do. And, uh, you know, the, the additions to Spark are only a small part of it. Yeah, actually, they're only using Spark for its uh, distributed uh, way of working. Plus, H2O itself does not do any ETL. It doesn't do any transformations. It just does the AI part. So you need something yeah. before that to kind of... I don't know, uh, change your epoch timestamps into week, month, day, weekday, holiday, whatever uh, features. So to do that kind of craft uh, work, you still need something. But it also gives you a nice, I think, um, uh, differentiation between what a data engineer and a data scientist will do. Because making those features ready for use, that gets pretty often pushed to the data engineer. And then what the driver's AI does is more of the um, data scientist's uh, uh, purview. Yeah. But uh, anyway, continuing on the first day there. So the first part was on the driverless AI, and they put it front and center because that is their, their, their what you call that, uh, their main their focus. Their focus product at the moment, which I wanted to put a lot of uh, uh, yeah, publicity around. Which And I think it deservedly because, uh, I mean, I have no practical experience with it, but just working with it, looking at it, and seeing how it works, it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice tool. It's definitely worth looking at. 
After the lunch, we then looked at the H2O3, which is soon to be replaced by H2O4. We're going to have to change something in the name because H2O4, 3, that's still a molecule, but H2O4, I don't think that molecule exists in nature. (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually what you were talking about just then, about how it could be perceived as as a library. Because when you use it on top of Spark, which is an option, by the way, you don't have to, but if you use it on top of Spark, it's kind of, uh, instead of uh, using a, li- a function call from MLlib or Spark ML, you use a function call from the H2O group. But behind the scenes, there's actually an H2O cluster running there that has their own executors. Well, I shouldn't say executors because they're, they're little executables are running in the same executors if you run it on the same Spark cluster. Or you can actually have an external cluster where the H2O cluster runs that actually does that number crunching for you and then feeds result back to your Spark context. And uh, that's actually what's also running underneath driverless AI because there's a simple call there that says uh, auto ML, which pretty much says, okay, here's my data set. I prepared it, do your thing and give me back the... Uh, they call the leaderboard, and in this case, the leaderboard is more simple. It doesn't give you that interpretability that the driver's AI gives you, but it does give you a nice list. Okay, we tried uh, linear regression, had an uh, error count of X. We tried random forest, had a thing of X. We tried blah, 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 all of these different ways of uh, training the model, and these are the results, and this is a top result which you should use. Yep. So, but clearly, you can see a lot of the uh, the visualizations from the driverless AI feeding back onto that H2O result. So it's they're definitely incorporated with each other. The thing to note, though, for the moment, uh, while their H2O product does run on Spark, which has the wonderful name Sparkling Water, I kind of <laughs> like you have to like open source. Uh, the driverless AI at the moment does not run on Spark yet, though they did say that's on the road on the on the, on the soonish roadmap. Yeah, so yeah, that should sure. be coming. And again, since it really looks like it's just, well, just, <laughs> it's built on top of H2O. Uh, and since H2O uh, works on uh, Spark, it should be reasonably feasible, at least, to make that uh, work pretty easily, I guess. So that was the second part. And then, yeah, we did a last uh, exercise, a last lab using actually sparkling water. And uh, yeah, as we, I already explained most of it, I guess. So all in all, a uh, very nice day. Having access to clusters was very useful. I mean, I had a bit of a, uh, an advantage here because working for Azure, I have my own Azure accounts and all of this yeah. stuff is available in all of the big clouds out there at the moment. They've actually had a big uh, press release on the 30th or the 31st of last month saying that everything is now also available in Azure. So yeah, there's my plug for Microsoft. <laughs> but it was good for me because that meant I could just uh, use my own uh, uh, environment and spin it all up and play with it. But everybody else was able to uh, yeah, spin something up in a environment I had prepared. And of course, like in all of these things, if when 900 people try to start up a cluster <laughs> using the same data set <laughs> file, for some reason that always goes a little bit flaky. <laughs> Why on earth would that be? Eh? Why on earth would that be a case? But uh, hey, I mean, the, the tools were there and you should be grateful that you actually are able to try this stuff uh, just for free. Now, if you weren't there and you want to try this for free, I think I talked about this last time on the last news episode. They do have a trial, a 21-day trial mm-hmm. on their website. And I'm not trying to be a total publicity whore here, but uh, actually try the trial. You can do the whole Spartan AI. 
uh, sorry, the driverless AI. If you're only interested in the H2O or the sparkling water, that's basically just free. So just download it and uh, use what you want to use. Very nice. Very nice. So, uh, yeah, it was actually quite a full day. Learned a lot. And the, what also was very impressive was the, were the guys that are um, presenting it. Mm. They did not have, in the first day, they did not have any kind of marketing or uh, salesy speeches out there. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's, these conferences are meant for publicity, but these were just guys that actually knew really well how the things work inside. So that was actually very nice to, uh, yeah. Get it from the from the horse's mouth. Is that the, the yeah? The that's the phrase. <laughs> that is the phrase. Excellent. So, uh, no, kudos to them. Really enjoyed that day. Very good. Um, so then, soon after that, uh, following day, I joined Yon, and yeah, we, we headed into the headed into the main section of the of the conference, uh, the more traditional section, should we say? Well, we we split up our. Uh, uh, our focuses and our attention, yeah, between sort of more of the the business uh, track and the and the tech track. So I took some of the the business track pieces. Mm-hmm. And, so basically, uh, I told Dave, "I'm going to do the interesting stuff. You can do the rest." Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but no, there, were, there were some interesting. There were some interesting stories to be had through the through the business track as well. Oh, so perhaps yeah, the thing me, first. Yeah, let me run through some of my experiences. So, first off was um, session by uh, Sri Satish Ambati, who's the uh, CEO and co-founder of H2O.ai. Um, he actually gave the the initial sort of uh, keynote, which was interesting for a, um, a CEO talking about the the uses of AI and, and ML in very um, emotion-laden terms, I would say. Um, really sort of trying to focus people onto you know, the good that this can do, but also um, you know, it, the good that it can do for the betterment of mankind, which was kind of not, not what I was expecting at a, at a tech conference, I must, I must say. Um, so, you know, talking about things like, um, you know, the talent in, in this space being so rare that, you know, we need to strive to simplify. You can, mm-hmm. you can see there's a clear parallel between, uh, between that and what they're trying to do with driverless AI. Yeah. Um, the fact that, uh, people need to be able to trust the outputs of these kind of things and therefore the, the need for these things to be able to explain how they've reached um, you know the conclusions that they reach. Um, other comments were around sort of the the need to uh, reduce the level of hype that's around this and really demystify the space, make it uh, far clearer and easier for people to understand. You know how these things all plug together and essentially make it more easily consumable for a wider population. Um, he also talked about the fact that um, you know we need to be more open uh, with the data. Now, that's obviously that's a, a somewhat contentious part. Um, I, I certainly can understand and grasp the the sort of the thoughts around having more open data, but of course there's there's you know there's always privacy concerns and everything else that uh, people start to uh, get a little bit twitchy around, but. You know, if you can provide the right level of 
anonymization around data, you know, it, it would make sense for, for more data to be shared across more organizations. Um, there's always that always that balance to strive, but uh, I think it's it's a it's a laudable goal. Um, and he also mentioned things about you know, people um, people sort of focusing on learning these new tools and technologies, um, and really trying to um, it just as I say improve mankind. You know, um, ensure that. Um, AI is used for peace and things like that, which is kind of you know all very very laudable goals. But sort of, as I say, kind of an interesting introduction into the uh, into the day. Um, sort of folk also sort of finished off with um, talking about providing a lot of automation around um, these ML pipelines. And again, obviously, it's a, a plug towards the driverless AI side of things. Um, Again, a common focus was, and in fact, this was common throughout the day and continues to be the case, which is that the return on your AI investment is only as good as the data you feed into it. So, you know, standard gar- garbage in, garbage out. You know, that's not going to, um, you know, if you can't feed the any of these models anything decent in the first place, you know, you're not going to get anything decent out of it. Oh, yeah, you can, but then it's called alchemy. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yes, I'll have me some of that uh, lead to gold, please. Um, and then it sort of really the final piece on his session was around um, uh, with all of the things he was talking about earlier, about making things more open, simplifying, demystifying, um, really sort of moving from uh, needing these individual unicorns or rock stars of data scientists to be able to do things to actually more of a, a team-based approach where, you know, you get people that already understand the data in the problem space but maybe are less familiar with the technology and having them be able to use things like driverless AI to actually deliver significant business benefit. Um, and also, you know, moving organizations from the the anecdotal, I think this is the right thing to do based on my gut feel, through to the, you know, fully data-driven side of things. So yeah, yeah it was, it was, it a, a was a good section there if I can, if I can. Because uh, yeah, what you please. say there is a lot of times to do a good machine learning algorithm, you need domain expertise, and quite yeah. often those domain experts aren't data scientists. It's very yeah. hard to find that unicorn there, and by having something like that driverless AI, you can actually have the domain expert be able to do a reasonably good job at the, at the machine learning part. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So. That was it. Was a good session. A, a little bit of a different feel to what I was expecting, but it was it was very welcome, and I think it was very well received by the audience. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, next up was uh, a guy called Gary Rapesy, who is uh, Global Assurance Innovation Officer for PwC, and he was talking about what they've been doing with H two O for a number of years now. They've been using it, and it was really around. Um, essentially accounting and looking at organizations' books to essentially detect fraud. Um, but they, yeah, the, the point that he was making t- to start off with is that essentially accountants um, exist to tell the truth, uh, you know, the truth of, you know, the numbers of you know, revenue that a business has or whatever it might be. Um, but that the the data sources that they, you know, 
uh, are required to understand now are getting so much more uh, complex that it's almost impossible for accountants to have a complete picture of anything. And of course, this is the perfect area for something, uh, you know, something machine-driven to to take over. So, you know, they've they've developed this service uh, internally called Ledger.ai. And essentially, it, it sort of looks at an organization's financial records, and it is able to detect with very, very good accuracy. Um, I think I don't think he mentioned the exact numbers, but it was significantly better than than humans were detecting, um, and it was sort of able to pick up things like uh, unexpected accounting activity, infrequent users, unusual approvers of transactions, uh, unusually dated, either forward dated or back dated transactions, and unusual times. And uh, th- one of the examples that he showed was for I think it was a business that was operating in the Middle East. And because of the the differences in the working week, you know, someone would normally look at some of these working uh, days of transactions, would say, "Oh, that looks fine." But actually, because the working week covers different days in in uh, in many of those countries, actually, you know, to do a transaction on a certain day is particularly odd or strange or different. So, you know, things like that, this system was able to to pick out that you know very often humans would probably miss. Um, so, so yeah, the bias was, out of it again. Exactly, removing the bias from the data. So yeah, it was a, another good session, another good use of um, of this, and you know they they obviously built some wrappers uh, around it that makes it mm. made it nice and easy to consume as well. So yeah, nice session. Um, some some sort of good messages as to how best to uh, adopt some of the technologies. Yeah, maybe I, I forgot to talk about that in, in my first section there. But uh, productionizing the results of uh, the driver's AI and H2O stuff is also part of their little package there. So it's very easy to mm-hmm. just save it as a, a pojo or a mojo or uh, something like that. If you don't know mm-hmm. what pojos and mojos are, we'll talk about it sometimes. Um, but so it's easy enough to, to get it into production. This is usually a big uh, headache. So building just a wrapper around it must have been reasonably easy-ish. Yeah, yeah. But you still need it. All right. So next up was uh, James Tromans, who was uh, or is head of data science for FX Trading Business at Citigroup, um, and his his section was all about essentially how to build uh, teams around data science, um, and that really you know, echoing the fact that culture is absolutely critical for this. Um, understanding how people fit into this whole equation is more actually more important than the technology itself which i think we we all kind of probably intrinsically know but it's very easy to get swept up by the technology and forget about the people until of course you have to try and implement this in an organization and then you know all of your bright ideas if you haven't thought them through with with the people involved will very much come uh, crashing down um, so he talked about things like, you know, what the what the reporting line of this sort of team would be, uh, different options around, you know, business or technology or a dedicated function, and some of the pros and cons for each of these uh, each of these options. Um, he talked about centralized and uh, or center of excellence or consulting, 
as having different sort of methods of implementing these things. And then the sort of decentralized slash federated slash, you know, functional focus as well. Um, one of the interesting points that he made is that, you know, yes, you could go ahead and build a, you know, a dedicated team that could do this. Uh, but in many cases, you know, they would be seen as or are seen as outsiders to the people who actually um, are doing the job day to day and, and would be assisted by the, the AI or, or ML. And uh, there's a you know a nice le- link to uh, an Accenture article in his slides. I think we should be able to put the links to the recordings of some of these sessions in the show notes, so you should be able to see that there. Um, no, the recordings so, aren't up yet, as far as I can see. Yeah. Okay. So, well, we'll we'll uh, retrofit them afterwards. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Um, and then you know it was a little bit of a, a quick run through of um, some of the roles that you know the data engineer responsible for getting the data, um, the, stati- the statistical engineer who knows the problem um, and knows the data and the statistics of the data, but doesn't really um, go any further than that. Who would sort of spend time understanding uh, the data in more depth. Then you've got the the data scientist who would kind of iterate on that sort of model development, and then finally the sort of ML engineer responsible for that that final sort of uh, ML slash AI step, and you know the final piece that uh, that he mentioned was really around still you know eighty percent of the work that uh, you know data scientists spend their time on is actually spent on data acquisition and data cleaning yep. which is a you know a massive waste of a, a very expensive resources time okay, so having it. this well not so much <laughs> it turns out uh, unsurprisingly so having you know having your data pipelines in place uh, having uh, you know the data in a format that it can be easily consumed manipulated used by um you know some of these top tier staff before you go and kind of bring on these you know, rock stars or whatever it might be initially um is very important if you bring on some of these people that you're potentially spending a lot of money on uh in order to hire them um you want to make sure they can be productive you know pretty much from the get go rather than then lumbering them with a whole load of grunt work so yeah. focus on you know crawl walk run rather than uh Try try to start for a marathon on day one. Yeah. So yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, next up was a session by uh, Shankar Travadi, uh, which who's uh, senior vice president of enterprise business for Nvidia. Uh, unsurprisingly, talking all about GPUs in AI. Um, this was a little bit more product pitchy. Um, but there were still some interesting um, nuggets of information in there. So, for example, apparently one-third of Amazon's shopping revenue is actually powered by uh, the recommendation engine. And this, to me, just shows the power of getting these things right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the recommendation engine is often the you know pe- people who bought this also bought this. Maybe you're interested in that. Or yeah, alerting through apps saying, hey, we think you might like one of these. And anyway, so... A th- a third of their revenue is driven by completely automated systems, not even, you know, user-initiated. So quite uh, quite interesting numbers there. And some of the other stats they were talking about, you know, making use of GPUs for this kind of work uh, was, you know, would 
give a between 50 to 80 times um, sort of uh, decrease in the amount of time that it takes to train models, for example. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they've put together some new tooling that allows you to do some of the data preparation um, within the, or by using GPUs as well. So not just the training, but the prep time as well, because they were finding that uh, it was taking uh, a long time to actually do some of the data prep before the uh, uh, the platforms would even get to actually the model training piece. So moved from uh, you know a hundred CPU system taking an hour to prepare four hundred gigs of data to one GPU doing it in less than two minutes, um, and then then came the uh, the even more salesy slides around the uh, you know replace all of your sort of racks and racks of servers with just one rack of high density GPUs and the world will be a better place. Yeah, they must have talked about the <laughs> DGX thing. They did, they did, they did. Uh, the the DGX2, uh, one-eighth of the cost, one-fifteenth of the space, and one-eighteenth of the power consumption required. And it's still bigger, better, stronger, faster, etc. Yeah. <laughs> the marketing is strong in that one. Indeed, indeed. And very pretty. This, those were the prettiest <laughs> slides, as you might expect from uh, from mm-hmm. NVIDIA. But hey... And of course, the the link here is that the HDO stuff runs on on GPUs, but uh, yeah. always keep in mind that it usually doesn't make much sense to put a linear regression on GPUs. Once you yeah, put the yeah. TensorFlow stuff in there, sure, that's where you get big benefits. So always use a tool for what you need. Indeed, indeed. So there were some other sections, but I think those are, those are the key ones that I would call out. Um, so Jan, how was the how was the tech track for you? Ah, uh, in one word. Stress. Because <laughs> of a short 25-minute chats mm-hmm. with no time to switch room. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and it all started on time? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, well, basically, to be honest, at, uh, later in the day, I just decided to stick in one room because the chance that you got to the other room and there was no seating available anymore was uh, just uh, too annoying to, <laughs> to, to live with too much. That being said, they did kind of keep the same kind of stocks in the same kind in the same room, so I don't mm-hmm. think I missed out on much. Anyway, first talk I went to was uh, by Brammert Ottens from Booking.com. Mm-hmm. It's a little-known company in the travel industry. It was talking about scaling machine learning at Booking, and basically what he did is explain how Booking was using their machine learning uh, environment, of course, based on H2O, now, he wasn't there spilling the, the, the house secrets or anything like that, uh, so it wasn't as in-depth as I would have liked. Uh, I've been to conferences where they give a bit more away, but it was still an interesting uh, talk. The high level was that they use uh, H2O, of course, Fopal Wobbit and uh, TensorFlow for their stuff, and... Uh, a little nugget here was that they actually collaborated with H2O, and uh, H2O wasn't there to to say yes or no about this, but I'm assuming they're going to be lying on stage. But apparently the whole uh, external to Spark uh, H2O cluster for sparkling water was developed in association with Booking.com to make some instability issues go away. Interesting. So, and actually, I talked a little bit about how H2O really works together with their big customers to develop new stuff to make what you need. And also, on the first day, that message of if you want something we don't have, let us know. We we're willing to build everything, but we need to find out what's in demand most. So, nice. 
I mean, it's nice. a young company. Your the, the product is young. Let's call it that. So uh, they are still uh, hungry to build more. Um, there wasn't that much new and wow factor there. The one thing that I took notice was that booking is built on Pearl. <laughs> wow. So everybody who's missing Pearl, well, you can make a lot of money with Pearl. <laughs> Too right. But the one thing that I took away from his talk was a thing called a feature repository. Right. And actually, yeah, once you hear it, it makes perfect, total, perfect sense. Uh, but I've heard a lot about having a metadata repository where yep. you keep your metadata in a repository so you actually know f- where you can find what kind of data. Now, what they do is often or always when data comes in, it needs to be featureized. You need to make, uh, you need to uh, transform that raw data into the features that will be used by your model. And by having a feature repository, they kind of avoided people creating the same features again, but just being able to go to a library, which they call their feature Vader, which is not a, not a call to Darth Vader, <laughs> but Vader Vader is uh, Dutch for father. So it was the father okay. of, the, <laughs> of the features. And so any data set comes in, they push it to that Vader, and it gives you back your nicely standard featureized data set from there, which is, uh, yeah, it makes total sense. Definitely for a company that uh, uses uh, machine learning a lot. I mean, it's, it's their core business, basically. Because you, you, just, you talked about Amazon doing their um, impulse buying by recommendations. Well, Booking mm. does that also very much like. Uh, so that was actually a nice uh, explanation how that worked. So that was an interesting thing. Very good. So, yeah, only 25 minutes. So uh, I'm not going to talk 25 minutes about the session. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next one, I went to a talk by Levi Brackman from Travelport, near real-time AI deployment with huge data and super low latency. Um, yeah, wasn't that much new. If you've been doing a lot with this space, you will not have learned much, but it was a nice explanation of how having a end-to-end machine learning pipeline, let's say, uh, there, it was very positive on the whole H2O approach. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing, oh yeah, another nugget here about the external cluster for H2O. Uh, as I've just said, they developed it into in in, uh, in partnership with Booking.com to get rid of some node crashes, some instability, or when you had it all on one Spark cluster. Because of course, mm-hmm. if you have a Spark cluster, you have your executor from Spark doing stuff, and you have that H2O cluster in the same executor also doing stuff. So you will have resource contention at a certain point, and yeah, at certain points you add a memory and you get a nice stack dump. Uh, for the travel, always, always lovely and eminently readable, of course. Uh, oh, it's poetry. Um, <laughs> for the travel ports, they kind of went for the external one because the memory copy was too expensive. And I actually went to talk to uh, one of the uh, HO guys, uh, Hi Kuba, to talk, ask more, more about that. And basically, if you want to be sure you're stable, you need to have your executor memory at four times your mem- your model, your data uh, memory. Not that you need it always, but that's kind of, yeah, if you want to make sure you don't fall out, then you need to have four times the memory in your Spark cluster than, as a, than the size of your data set. Now, in a normal Spark environment, you would go to about twice because mm-hmm. you will always have some duplication going on. You, you'll need some caching, some tra- 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 transformation space to, to, to do your stuff. But having four times the model size, yeah, that, that's that's big. And by just split, splitting off to a different cluster, they kind of could get away from having a two divergent cluster there. 
So that was that thing. Uh, apart from that, he talked about their DevOps situation as well. Apparently using Jenkins to auto-deploy their H2O clusters because they want to mm-hmm. have it all as uh, continuous integration, continuous development and infrastructure as a service. Um, they also did everything in the cloud. It was a, actually a nice um, juxtaposition with the Booking.com talk because Booking.com does everything on-premise and Travel okay. Port does everything in the cloud. And they both kind of expounded on why their choice was the best. And <laughs> it was very nice to see that one after the other to talk about that. And of course, the, the travel port guy was able to to talk, to, 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 to respond to things that the booking.com guy said, then not reverse because, yeah, time works in one way. <laughs> but uh, Sneaky. Yeah, it was fun. It was nice. But apparently they have everything in the cloud. And uh, the one thing they were struggling with at the moment and I'm going to put a Microsoft hat on now, is that they're building, they're using Azure and they're building everything in C-sharp. Now, the whole big data thing is mostly Java-based, right? Yeah. And I and I mentioned Pojos and uh, Mojos, which are Java objects, and what they're actually needing to do is make it C-sharp wrapper uh, 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 over the Java SD, uh, GTK, uh, GRE, which then contains uh, the, the, the model, and that's kind of an extra layer abstraction. So they're working with H2O now to have a native C-sharp objects exportability. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, because if I can avoid Java stack terms, I do, I do appreciate that. <laughs> but, but they're so beautiful and, and concise and just tell you just what you need to know. No, no, wait a minute. That's nothing. That's nothing like them. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd say if you think Java is uh, readable, you should read the old Bibles and the original texts and everything in Hebrew. <laughs> that that'll be the same level of readability, I think. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, we actually had a person from H two O at that point uh, doing a talk. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is the one time I moved. Uh, I moved room, <laughs> so I, I missed okay. the start. <laughs> and that was uh, Matthias Dimzicks, and he doesn't mind me butchering his name because everybody does that. He said, and he was actually talking about machine learning interpretability. And uh, interpretability is something I want to actually spend an entire episode on because mm-hmm. it's a lot to talk about. And I'm not going to go in depth here. Uh, safe to say that his presentation was entirely from the technology point of view. How, which libraries, how do you use Lime and K-Lime to actually make the graphs and how do you interpret the graphs and things like that. So he wasn't talking about the, the business side of the thing, why you want to do this and what's the, the good and the bad of this. It was more about how do you do this and then framed in the uh, driverless AI uh, product. Okay. So on the one hand, it was a good insight in seeing, okay, you have all these nice graphs in driverless AI, but what the hell do they mean? Well, here's where it comes from. <laughs> At enough. that point, I still didn't understand why you would, why you would need them, why you would want them, but at least I understood where they came from. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. But uh, it's a very technical uh, discussion, a lot of uh, slides, a lot of graphs on slides, and uh, makes for excellent radio. So I'm going to go <laughs> to the next session there. And that was a session, let me check my notes, from Rafa Garcia Navarro from Ducid.ai, which is a beautiful name. And actually, uh, I'm a bit ambivalent about this one. It's Ducid.ai, it's a new company, and their session was called AIML at the core of open banking. And he was pretty much on stage promoting his new company. Okay. 
Okay. Now, what he was talking about is open banking. Apparently, in the UK, uh, big banks have now given have now been given the obligation by the government to open their data sets to third parties. Yeah. Now, if these are free or paid for, he didn't talk about. But the thing is that the thing that Doosit does is actually make models on top of that data and make those models and uh, refine data sets and the models uh, consumable by third parties. So they kind of sell intelligence on top of the open banking data sets. Um, yeah, not much more to say about that. He did have a lot of uh, statistics and things, but uh, if you want to know more, go look them up on the internet and you will find all their marketing stuff there. <laughs> Uh, he did make a note to say that all their stuff was GDPR compliant, which makes me doubt GDPR, but let's not go into that. (laughs) (laughs) And next one. See, the benefit of having short sessions is you have a lot of sessions. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sergei Israeliev from Beeswax, real-time AI designing for low latency and high throughput. And there was actually a topic that came back a lot, the low latency and high throughput kind of uh, part of the whole thing. Training your data sets will always be a slower thing, but scoring it needs to be fast and many of them at the same time. And in this case, Beeswax is an ad selling platform. So they need millisecond latencies because what they do is when you go to a website, they offer the publicity spot to all their subscribers and the highest bidder wins. And then that ad gets served to you as a visitor. Unless you, if you don't use ad block. I'll cut that out. Uh, <laughs> but the speed, of course, is of the essence, because if, if, if a web page loads for longer than a second, people click to the next page. I mean, yeah. I know I maintain our uh, Roaring Elephant uh, website. I do my utmost to make it fast, but it's WordPress. Sorry, that has limits to, to, to reality. You can't beat the laws of physics. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he was talking about that, and most of what he was talking about was about... Um, how they tried different algorithms or more data, less data to see what was the uh, the perfect mix to get this uh, high throughput, low latency uh, service uh, up and running. Mm-hmm. And their uh, decision there, their, their, their uh, conclusion at the end was that more data is better than a complex algorithm. Okay. Meaning that, yes, you can get better accuracy on your data, uh, on your model, by having it have, have more data in it, or yeah, by using yeah. a more expensive algorithm. But more expensive algorithms are expensive in time and money, because you need GPUs, for example, and it takes a lot longer to get a more complex algorithm run. And what he apparently decided, what they decided upon was that you can get better results with a very complex models, but your pricing is so high then, uh, whether it's time or money, that it doesn't make sense and it can't do that low latency anymore. Adding more data, on the other hand, is totally on the training part of the of the model. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't do anything for your scoring. While on the scoring side, a more complex model will score slower. So for yep. there, the solution was more data is better than complex or algorithm. And I kind of like to hear that because in the last couple of years, the whole, yeah, big data is great, but you don't need that much. It only gives you incremental in, uh, improvements. Uh, true. I mean, having 10 versus 1,000 will give you a big difference. Having 1,000 versus a million, still big difference. Having a billion versus 10 billion, uh, you won't see that much anymore. But for his point of view, from his approach, the whole latency, high throughput, yeah, more data is a cheaper, between air quotes, you can see my air quotes, uh, way of doing it if you want to keep your algorithm uh, lean and uh, flexible and mobile. Nice, nice. That's uh, certainly 
ties in with what is becoming more a more common sort of viewpoint with uh, the focus on the data continuing to be potentially more important than uh, what it's coming you, back now. Yeah. I think it's also due because the algorithms have been optimized more and more and the CPUs have gotten faster and the availability through public cloud or whatever you have not is there now. So they were able to make the simpler um, uh, algorithms, which always were fast, are still fast, but the, the middle size, let's say, the middle section has also become quite fast and affordable mm. now. And the next step, you're dumping into the, the TensorFlow models, neural networks, which have a big, a much much larger footprint, and at this point, yeah, the, the, on the intelli- intelligence scale, let's say for models, they kind of did the optimizations there. So let's go back to data again, and I'm assuming in two years' time, when the new generations of AMD or Intel <laughs> CPUs comes out, and that TensorFlow model now also becomes fast, they'll say yeah. again, use the better models, and you need less data, and then the next yeah, step, yeah. and it's a nice uh, back and forth between the two, and that's that's good. That's yeah. nice. Sign, the sine wave continues. Exactly. It's, uh, the Kondratiev Holf uh, wave, yep. Kondratiev wave, it's a 50 year wave, I think. I guess this one is a little shorter. <laughs> yeah, yes. As with all things. Well, not only is it shorter, but it's probably increasing in frequency. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It's going back anyway. going to the, the zero level. Anyway, that was Beeswax. Moving on. What was. Uh, I had Mark Landry and Brandon Murray uh, about H2O AI's part creating AI to read business documents. Which was. Uh, I mean, it was, a bad, it was a good talk. It was a fun talk, but it kind of felt like shit. We got an open space. We need to put something in here. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, no, no, it's a good talk. It's just, I don't think a lot of people expected it. And it was actually two guys from H2O that had a little, mm-hmm. I'm going to call it a hobby project, but it's more than that because we're actually looking at making this into a product uh, to build something that can do intelligent document interpretation. Right. And they started with, of course, yeah, why would we do this? We have OCR. You, you, that's been there for ages. You just OCR a PDF and it's done, right? <laughs> yes, but is that date a delivery date, a product date, a shipment date? Yeah. What, what kind of date is that? So they're looking at building something that actually uh, is able to interpret a document, uh, not only syntactically, but also grammatically or whatever you want to call it, to have a whole knowledge companion come out of that document complete automatic, automatically. And it's definitely something that I have customers looking for. I mean, if they build this and it works, then they have a market for it, definitely. But they were, they're not there yet. And they pretty much talked about how, how their approach was, why they tried to do more than just OCR, how their approach was. They're, they're, they're using a template-based system. And I'm not going to go into too much depth here because we're running already over almost an hour. <laughs> uh, but they're just, they haven't got the finished product yet. But again... We'll see how far they get. I though I did get got a little bit the feeling that they they hadn't quite given up yet, but they weren't really making the, the progress they wanted to make. Oh dear! O- open so. source project or uh, not even? This is just two guys coding uh, okay. a bit. And they were using a lot of open source stuff, and this will uh, they will be using H2O's uh, cluster thing, which is open source, so mm-hmm. it shouldn't be that hard to... Op- I would imagine they will at some point have a GitHub up, or maybe they already have, I don't really know. Uh, but uh, I'm assuming that if they make it into a product, it's going to be in the way that their driverless AI is now a product, where you have a mm-hmm. package thing, uh, like your Metron <laughs> yeah, package yeah. thing, which, you can just, which has ease of use built in. You can still build it yourself by just clocking it all together. 
it's going to be identical in the end, mostly. <laughs> but by having something that's pre-trained, pre-done, you don't... It's Do you pay for making it yourself or pay somebody else for making it for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, moving on again. Chris Madsen from Aegon. Yeah, it's always Aegon. That's uh, the Dutch name because Aegon Blue Square RE. If you want AI and insurance, and uh, again, not much fun here, mostly a talk about how AI and insurance is a good use case. I mean, mm-hmm. he did have a fun demo. He Apparently, there's a little uh, gizmo you can buy now. It's a, a credit, smaller than a credit card. You can put it on your wrist, link it to your phone, and it'll make an EKG, a two-point EKG. Which you can then send to your doctor, and the doctor can say, oh my god, you have to come into the hospital right now. Which was a story he had about his father or uncle, something like that, which didn't feel well. Went to the doctor, called the doctor, the doctor said, well, take an aspirin and call me in the morning. He used this little gizmo, <laughs> sent the result, and then the doctor said, go to the, 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 the how do you call that, the uh, emergency services right now. Wow. Uh, yeah, the whole idea being that because of the commoditization of all the IoT and edge devices getting more comp- compute in there, they were able to do more and more with that kind of home medication, which means that insurance becomes uh, preventative and not just uh, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Again, pretty much the default uh, insurance use case, let's say. But he had a nice, uh, a nice uh, point of view, a nice, how do you call that? Uh, Perspective. Uh, thingy. Uh, well, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Moving on, and we're getting to the end of the day now. Uh, we had Walter Koch, Transforming Global Organizations to AI-Driven Technology Platforms, The Lessons Learned Over the Past Decade. Uh, wins the prize for the longest title. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a kind of... Uh, rec- he, he talked about how, what he did in his career at different... Uh, places i think he from memory he was at ing and vodafone and bigger companies like that mm-hmm. and explaining how ai driven technology platforms get set up why it works why it doesn't work and things like that so it was a nice uh, inside out view not technical at all uh one thing i did note down and uh, between quotes and i'm quoting him literally here well i probably paraphrase because i can't write that fast uh, the bosses of the CEOs like to see dashboards. Uh, I showed them the driverless AI, and even though they didn't understand any of it, they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I'm not going to comment. Yeah. I'm just Why quoting Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it does make a, a point for if you're trying to build a business case inside your own company, make it something that your target audience will be able to digest. Yeah, very it's, much so. And you've been on a whole roll of visualizations of data and things like that. We've had uh, episodes where we've talked about this in much more depth. But it is an important thing. If you're not able to make what you're doing understandable and attractive to the person you're talking to, you're not going to get the money. Yeah. So that was that one. And then a last session of the day was a mystery session. It was right. given by, uh, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Torguin Shaikina from Quantum Black. And that was all of the information he had on the on the agenda. I'm just going to click now and nope, still nothing else on there. So I was in the room. I didn't want to move out. And the other two uh, other tracks didn't also didn't really interest me that much. So, yeah, I'm going to sit here and stay. And I'm very happy I did. Because okay. this was, I think, one of the best sessions of the day. I've actually reached out to Torgin and asked her to be on the podcast. So I'm trying to set mm-hmm. something up. But this was a session entirely about, again, interpretability, but mm-hmm. from the business side. 
So okay. not about the technology, blah, 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 but more. And actually, she was the only person in the day that had complex mathematical formulas on screens, on, on the slides. <laughs> <laughs> but still, she was actually talking about it, why this is needed. And you have all of these technologies like K-Lime and Shapley. Okay, well, this is why it's good. This is why this is good. This is why you use that and so on. So I'm not going to talk too much in depth about it because I really want to have her on the on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, I approached her on the day and she was happy to talk further. So we'll see how we can uh, make that happen. Excellent. But uh, that was actually um, a really, really nice session. I really hope uh, we can have Torgan on. Fantastic. And then we were closing off the day. We had a Kaggle Grandmaster panel. And if you don't know what a Kaggle Grandmaster is, that are people that do a lot of Kaggle competitions and and have good scores. There were about a dozen of them on the stage there. And we were able to send them questions, which they then answered. Um, there were fun questions and bad questions. One of the questions was, have you ever cheated? And things like that. <laughs> oh, God. And there was a question, okay, can you give your best tips? And then everything remained silent. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was actually kind of nice. Uh, the idea here was, I think, uh, to get more people to enter these Kaggle competitions, uh, take away a bit of the fear and uncertainty. You don't have to be an expert on this thing. This is how you become an expert by doing this stuff. So, so that was fun. Nice. Not much, uh, I can I didn't was able to to write everything down. So, and again, they told they told us all the secrets of the business, which I know no, and well, you don't. Right. And after that, uh, well, there was a bit of a kerfuffle there because the, one of the grandmasters said, "We're done. You can go now." And everybody started leaving, and then three came back on stage to do the closing remarks. So we had to call everybody back. <laughs> 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 That'll teach them to get grandmasters on the stage before them. <laughs> yep. But then uh, Sri kind of did a uh, closing session, uh, which if I hear your uh, recap from his uh, um, keynote, pretty much in the same vein there, mm-hmm. uh, closing off the whole day. And then it's up to, off to drinks and, and, and nibbles. Very good. God, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a good event. It was their first uh, European uh, uh-huh. event. And you know, also their largest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was it the yep. largest? Wow. Okay, I didn't realise that. Um, but their, it was their first European event, and the attendance was good. There was a great mix of people there. Um, yeah, I would thoroughly recommend anybody that's interested in this space should uh, keep an eye out for the next one. And uh, if you can attend, I would certainly strongly recommend you do yeah and even though it's of course very h2o flavored because it's their event uh there's a lot of stuff here that's uh, generally applicable let's say especially yeah, the yeah, yeah. i mean the, the training day of course was specifically their products but the second day the, the sessions i went to yes a lot of these people are using h2o or they wouldn't be on the stage mm. but there was a lot more information there about how to do things how not to do things how to learn and stuff like that so and it's still a very young environment i mean a lot of people yeah, are still yeah. figuring this out and I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the this this space is still, relatively speaking, in its infancy, and the, there's a lot of developments happening at a at a very fast rate. So, yeah. learning from people that are at the uh, the bleeding edge of this is is the only way that we you know bring everybody up to the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to the next level. And I do think we're we're over the the bleeding edge uh, hump. Let's say so. It's no longer you have to be the the most top technology company to even look at this things yeah. like driverless ai and h2o 
it actually makes it usable if you're not at that top end. Being mm-hmm. at the top end will probably give you that percentage point, percentage point better result. Yeah. But it shouldn't hold you back anymore. And by using this stuff, you can become that top 1%. So it, it should, the democratization of AI, which is actually something he stole from my boss, but <laughs> uh, actually it's something that's going on in this space very much at the moment. And of course, it's all driven by commercial interest because the more people doing this, the more people buy the stuff and so on and so on. But I think for us end users, there's a lot of gain in here. Just like yeah. the, 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 how do you call it? The, the thing that Ford developed, the, the, the machine line, uh, the, the role, uh, the, the, the factory line that just goes from point from station to station. The assembly line? Assembly line, thank you. See, that's why I have Dave. Uh, how that changed industry, AI will have at least the, the same kind of effect, I think. Yeah, very much so. Well, <laughs> I think I think that covers our uh, our time at the event. It was uh, it was great to so it was obviously great to see you, Jan. Um, but it was also great to meet uh, a lot of good people from both H two O AI and also some of the attendees. There was a really, as I said, a really nice range of people mm-hmm. from uh, a lot of different organisations. Um, you know, there was definitely a very heavy. Uh, English slash London based presence, mm-hmm. but there were definitely people from all over as well that had uh, come to attend it. So um, I think they pulled off a great event, and uh, I look forward to see what the future will bring. Yep, yep, definitely. I mean, I had a lot of good conversations with people from H2O. Uh, again, a lot of uh, intelligence there, a lot of technical knowledge there. So that was, uh, mm. was just great. Yeah. But unless you have anything else to add, I do not. Big thank you to the people from HO for inviting us. We had a blast, but this is all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.drawingalpha.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us still on Twitter using the Atatoucast tag and contact us by email at podcast.drawingalpha.org. Send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. I look forward to talking to you next week. See you then.